I won't lie to you. Um, I'm struggling to be up here right now. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Um, so when you think about the words to that song, nothing and no one comes close to you, and how the verses open up saying, God, take me back, you know, take me back to a place. Before we get started, um, Christ, those of you who are believers, just go back to the beginning, the encounter with Christ. That moment where somebody told you that regardless of your past, regardless of the things that you had done, the things you were still doing, the things that you may do in the future, he died for you. You know? You remember that feeling when, when you gave your life to Christ and you were baptized and family and friends came out and a church, wherever you were at, celebrated you and you were ready to run through a wall for Jesus. You were ready to go be whatever he told you to be. The, the opening statement of the, the opening song, that So Will I song that we were singing, if, the, if creation still sings your praises, so will I. If the wind goes where you want it to go, so will I. If the, if the stars shine, so will I. Like remember, remember back in the day when you really meant that? When you, when you really meant, like, whatever your word says, I'm just going to do it because nothing and no one comes close to you. You are worthy. You are so worthy. Last week, we opened up um, this short two-part series that wasn't supposed to be two parts called Fake Reflections. Uh, we looked at that apple and we said, you know, this is weird because if you're the apple, maybe that's all you really do see. You don't see the part of you behind you that's all eaten away. You don't even notice it because you haven't examined yourself. Or maybe you do know that part is back there, but this is the only part you want to show everybody else when you walk into the church building, this, the part that's whole and has it all together. And then we also talked about the people. Like maybe you see that side of somebody, but you're not even in relationship enough to tell them about what you see, so you don't tell them. But... But what happens is as we walk through the door, and this is not Kayla, Kayla's real, <laughs> but as we walk through the door of a church, we're so fake. Let's just be real. I don't want you to actually know what's eating away at me. I don't want you to know what I'm really going through because you might use it against me at some point to hurt me, or you might gossip about me, or it might make me feel inferior to you, like you're a better Christian than me because you're not struggling the way I'm struggling or whatever it is. We got a lot of fake people that come through those doors every Sunday morning. A lot of fake people come through all doors of a church every Sunday morning because of our, because of our unwillingness to share and bear burdens with one another. And so I just, I just want you to go back. I just want you to go back to what brought you through these doors in the first place. Was it a loved one that invited you? And if you're here for more than the first time, because I see some first timers, what brought you back here? Was it the love you felt when you walked through the doors? Was it 
Was it a message or a word of comfort that you heard from the preaching, but it was God's word? Like, what actually keeps bringing you through these doors every week? Because the more and more I look around, the more and more I'm asking, who are we really as a church? Are we really family? Do we really value one another? Can you really look around this congregation right now, around this family right now, and see people that are not a part of your household, not your childhood friends, not the person who invited you, and actually see people that you trust, that you can depend on, that you can call when you just can't push anymore, when you can't fight any longer. Look across the room. Is that person... Here, do you see them? Do you have them? Do you know them? And if not, why not? What's holding you back from that? Hmm? What's made you so worried about your reputation and the way you look among one another, among believers who believe they needed the same Savior regardless of their background? What, what, what came in and and destroyed that thought process that you have to be something for somebody in this church. That you come to a place that says, I don't care if you're black, if you're white, I don't care if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're from the suburbs, the hood, Democrat, Republican, I don't care anything about your background, you need Jesus just like me. Amen. So if that's true, then why do I have to hide anything from you? Why do I have to be worried about what you think about me? Why do I have to bear burdens by myself? It's because we're trying to keep up some image that was never meant to be kept up. It's because we're trying to be something we was never meant to be. And what happens is you stop having a church family and you start having this church country club. This, this social gather, gathering that's just about your social status. Who pulled up in the nicest whip out there? Who's got the nicest house at, at, back at home? Who's got the biggest stuff and the best jobs and the most money and the coolest clothes? And that's all it's about. That's all it's about. When it's supposed, about, it's supposed to be about coming in here broken. Broken and saying, I need my family to put me back together in Christ. We got people whose marriages are struggling and they don't want to tell nobody about it because they don't want nobody talking about their marriage. Kicking them when they down. We got people struggling in their faith and in their word, but they don't want to come to a Bible study because if they ask the wrong question, everybody's going to snicker and giggle among themselves like it's something they're supposed to know. We got people fighting addictions and demons and fears and doubts. And, and they're doing it alone. When they're supposed to have a place that they can run to, to lean on each other. But they can't run to the church. And they can't run to the world. So they stand alone. And this is where people start killing themselves. This is where people start giving up hope. Because they, they have nobody, even though we call this a family. 
In Revelation 2, I just want to give you this real quick. John is given a revelation. It says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. The one being Jesus who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He says this to the church in Ephesus, and I believe there's a lot of churches like this, including ours. He says, I know your deeds. I know your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate man and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. So he says, when it comes to like fake preachers and fake apostles, you call them out. You're great at that church and we're good at that. You can't come up here and just preach what you want to in this church. We're going to call you out and tell you to sit down. He says, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. He says, but I have this against you. So he just listed all these things that the church is doing right. Your deeds, your struggle, your fight for the right thing to be this church, all these religious things you, you gather every Sunday, you got your Bible studies on Thursdays, you're doing your five non-families, people are serving, people are giving, people in the community talk well about your church, you're all over Facebook. I know your deeds, Church on the Rock, but I got this one thing against you. You've left your first love. I know all the things you're doing, Church on the Rock, as a great church. And people are talking so well about you, but you have forgotten your first love. God, take me back. Back to what? So when I understood that you died for the deepest and the darkest sins in my life, and therefore I didn't judge anybody who walked through that door because I remembered who I was. God, take me back to that moment when I thought that as a parent, I was a failure, and so I don't judge nobody else's parenting. When I thought my wife was going to walk out on me because I had been cheating on her my whole life and she didn't walk out, how am I going to condemn that man who's struggling to be faithful with his wife or condemn that wife who's struggling to stay in her marriage? I can't talk about them. If you just take me back to when I cried at the altar looking at myself, if you just take me back to that first love when you comforted me in ways that nobody else could comfort, how could I not provide that same comfort to others? He says, you forgot your first love. He says, therefore, church, remember from where you've fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to remove your lampstand out of his place unless you repent. This is the heart of us going back to our first love. To, for us to be the church we're meant to be, we have to get back to that first love where you really don't think you're more than what you are, where you really realize that no title in the church, no amount of knowledge of the Bible, your attendance, your giving, it means nothing if you don't love one another. And so last week, last week we were talking about how a fake 
a, a, a fake faith and, and a fake following, all those things we were talking about, this, it's like if, if the word is not real, if, if, you're, if, if the words that come out of your mouth are not real, then your faith is fake. And if your walk is not real, then the following is fake. And we landed on this. We, we said a, a fake worth leads to a fake family. In other words, when I look at you and I call you my family, if I don't really place value on that, an actual worth on that, then it's fake. Ryan, if I call you my bro, like I mean it, like my brother, but then the moment you have a, a need or a problem, I have no margin in my life for you, no time in my life to pick up a phone, to text, or just to check in on you, man, then that's not a family at all. It's fake. There's no value. There's no worth in that. And the way we live in America today, we have no no margin to even be a family. We're consumed with work and schedules and sports and Netflix and Facebook. And you really don't matter to me more than a post, a comment, a like, or a, I'm praying for you. And everything about this section of scripture is about coming alongside one another, taking those who are fractured, who are broken in their sin, coming alongside them, wrapping the two together and staying there until they're healed. Galatians 6.1, it opens up like this. It says, oh, I'm sorry, we'll get there, we'll get there. It says, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, and I think I spent too much time uh, explaining spiritual last service. So I'm going to say it like this. The caught in any trespass is those who are running from sin. I'm not, I don't want to sin. I'm running away from sin and it catches up to me and it overtakes me. There's one interpretation of it. The other interpretation is that you literally catch somebody in sin. Kind of like uh, when the Pharisees wanted to stone the adulterous woman because they caught her in adultery. And yet, Jesus had an approach that we should probably follow, right? So one of those two interpretations, whichever you want, whether you've caught somebody in sin or they were actually running, doing good, keeping in step with the Spirit, and sin overtook them, okay? You who are spiritual. Now, I don't want you to get this mistaken. Like, we see that as an elite group of people, right? Well, well, that's not talking about me, Shaq, because I'm a baby Christian. You know, I, I'm new to this. I've only been a Christian 12 years. I'm a baby Christian. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not talking about me. That's the special group. You know, that's just the pastors. And the, the people with titles are the spiritual ones, right? No, no, no. The word here simply refers back to Galatians 5. Please, when you get time, go read Galatians 5 for yourself. But the word here just goes back and is looking at the, those who are literally keeping in step with the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, patience, long-suffering, joy, peace. So if you profess Christ and you possess Christ, then you possess the Spirit. And as you keep in step with the Spirit, when it says the love, you love. When it says be patient, you're patient. When it says long-suffering, you suffer long. Right? That's the spiritual. 
It ain't about how long you've been a Christian. In fact, I would tell you this. When we say that God take us back in that song, God take us back, right? It's because nine times out of ten, you were more spiritual when you first started than what you are right now. That's why you're crying, God, take me back. Take me back to what? To when I was all sold out for you. To when I would stick it out in my marriage. To when I would treat my kids the way you told me to. To when I would sacrifice for you. Take me back when nothing and no one compared to you, including myself. Take me back to where you were in control. Take me back to when I was on fire for you. Take me back to the beginning. You know, the thing that led me and my wife and my daughter to church on the rock was purely love. It was 30-something adults here. That's it. It was nothing fantastic about this church except for how they loved us. My wife had a back surgery, and they came. We said, don't leave, leave us alone. We don't want to be bothered. We wanted them families. Like, leave us alone, please, people. And every day for that week, them two weeks that she had back surgery, we had some white folks knocking on the door. Like, why do these white people keep coming to the door? Like, thought they supposed to be scared of me or something. No, I'm just playing. All right, but look, <laughs> and, and food and dinner. And, and I'll never forget this man named Dave Deemer. He had only been here like a week. Had just came to the church. Only been here like a week. Pulled up with his wife and like his boss, who was, he was just showing around because he had just moved here. And he knocked on the door and brought Chinese food. I love Chinese. And when he brought it, I was like, man, so how you know John, who was the planter of church? How you know John and Jason? I don't. I literally just got here a week ago. <laughs> now, why are you doing this? Because you're a brother in Christ, and I love you, and you need me. Now, we got 300-plus people in this church, and we can barely get a meal train for somebody. What happened? Hmm? What happened to us that as people were attracted to the way we loved, we stopped loving? What happened to us that we loved only enough to get them in the doors and then when they got in, it was time to fend for yourself? What happened? He says, you who are spiritual, if you catch somebody, restore them. So my first point is this. If, if we're a family, if we're a true family, a family notices one another. You see, to help you with your sin, I have to notice you. You have to actually exist to me. You know, there's people who haven't been here five months and we don't even know who it is. Don't know what they're struggling with. Don't know what they're going through. You know, there's marriages... For ready to divorce right now. And I'm the only person who knows because nobody else even notices them. Who do you notice in this church other than your circle, your clique? Who do you, who do you notice? How, how can you restore anybody if you don't even notice them? And that, you know what? And that's the problem. That's what we try to do. We stand over here and we see something on Facebook from a distance. And we're like, Adam, I saw that post on Facebook. What kind of Christian? And you don't even know Adam. 
So instead, you want to call Adam out on something from over here instead of going alongside Adam and saying, man, let me show you how I post. Let me show you how I do this. And walking with them and restoring them and bringing them back into the family and, and making them back right. A family notices one another. They make time for each other. And I ain't saying you got to know everybody on my level from where I'm at up here. But do you know anybody outside of your people? My second point is this. A family nurtures one another. You see, they don't just notice so that they can restore. They restore in a certain way. It says, if anyone is caught in sin, give me, the, give me the next slide there, Brent. If anybody's caught in sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person. How? In a spirit of gentleness. Not gossip. You ever, you ever seen those Christians who, who you go to and you're, you're, you're open with, right, Jason? And, hey, I got a confession. I'm a Patriots fan, you know? And and, <laughs> and 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 no, what whatever whatever it is though, whatever it is, you you confide in me, because I'm I'm spiritual, and I say whatever I got to say to your face, right? But then I go home to my wife and I just I throw you under the bus, and my daughter overhears it, so she goes and she tells. Rye, Rye and, 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 and Rye goes back and tells Lindsay and, and Ryan, and then Lindsay and Ryan come in here and they share that with somebody else. And when it gets back to Jason, he's more broken than when he came to me. Why? Because that's not a spirit of gentleness to go back and run my mouth about him, even to my wife. Oh, it was, it was in the privacy of my home. No, no, no. Why are you running? If, if he has value to you, if he means something to you, why would... Why would I take that back and say anything negative about it. He's hurting, he's struggling, he's broken, he's fractured, he's tired, he's hurt. And I'm going to go back and talk bad about that to anybody? Who are you people? Who am I? How is that gentle? How is that restoration? How is that restoring? And you know what that leads to? That leads to me not wanting to tell anybody in the church anything. And so this is what happens. Galatians 6.2. Galatians 6.2 says that we need to bear each other's burdens, but I'm not, I'm not sharing burdens now. Because when I came to you broken, you broke me more. So a, a, a real family... <laughs> A real family notices one another, nurtures one another, and finally, a real family needs one another. A real family actually needs one another. That's the bearing burdens part. There's a couple of things implied here when we talk about bearing burdens. First thing, everybody in this room has a burden. That's the, that's the implication. God gave you a commandment, bear each other's burdens which is implying everybody has burdens. Now, they're, they're, when you read this, if you go read this for yourself, you'll see like three verses later, he says, but everybody needs to carry their own load. And you'll be like, well, no, we need to bear each other's burdens, but we need to carry our own load, right? For each one will bear his own load. Well, here's the difference. Here's the difference. 
A burden is something too heavy for you to carry by yourself for a long time. That's what the Greek word was. A load is a backpack. Carry your own backpack, right? So each and every one of you have things that God has given you that's in your backpack. He said, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. There's things for you to carry on your own. There's things you are responsible for. You need to serve. You need to give. You need to be in fellowship. Yeah, yeah. But there's certain things that are back-breaking, not meant for you to carry alone. In fact, when we go to 6-1, give me 6-1 again, Brent. I mean 6-2, excuse me. Give me 6-2 again. When we bear one another's burdens, that's a command, Christian folk. That's not a suggestion. Hey, if you feel like it, if you have time, Bear one another's burdens. No, 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 no. That's in the imperative. It's saying if you're a Christian, if you're spiritual, bear what you you are to bear one. You need to bear. You must bear one another's burdens. You must make the margin in your life to bear one another's burdens. You must make the time. You must have the patience. You must have the long suffering. You must have the fruit of the spirit so that you can bear one another's burdens. The things that are so heavy that they would destroy the person if he carried them by himself. Look at your life and tell me you don't have that in your life right now. You do. Unless you want to be prideful and be the apple that only sees what's in the mirror, something has eaten you to the core. But here's the problem. We won't share nor bear one another's burdens. And so we come into this church and we put on the best church Sunday smile we can put on. And how are you doing, brother? I'm fine. I'm okay. God is good. God is faithful all the time. Amen. When in all honesty, you're not even decent. You're not even okay. So um, I don't know how I'm going to do this again, but I am. Um, okay so it's a shorter sermon because of the way service was put together and I'm, I'm going to try to just do this first and foremost I need you to understand that when I share this information I'm sharing it not to um, bring any woe is me or anything to myself the church doesn't know how to share burdens the church doesn't know how to bear burdens. The church doesn't have examples of what it looks like to be completely honest and transparent and intimate with one another. Intimacy is not sex. It's knowledge. It's trust. That's what intimacy really is. You're intimate with God when you know the Lord. I'm intimate with you when you know more about me. That's what real intimacy is. And so um, so I'm going to show you an example here. Um, and for those of you who are guests, thank you for being here. Um, normally, we're a lot more word by word, line by line teaching, but this is a unique moment for, uh, for me to minister to the people, to the believers, and tell them what they need to be doing for each other and for the world to, to show how different we are. So um, growing up, I, uh, I, hmm, I was molested by my cousin for three years in Chicago. I'm protecting all names because uh, this is just about me and me sharing with you. 
uh, for six, seven, eight, maybe even nine. I was molested by my cousin, and therefore it, um, it really jacked me up mentally, like really messed me up mentally. I still have things I'm fighting mentally because of what happened to me. Um, after that, we, ad- uh, we adopted uh, some siblings. And one of the siblings, the female who was a couple years older than me, she came from a background of where she had been molested severely, and she brought that into our house. And so me and this uh, 12-year-old, when I'm 10 and 11, are having sex every single day. And this is, this is shaping me. This is, yeah, this is really, yeah, I see the faces. This is messing me up. I was molested by my male cousin, and then I'm having sex with this, this 12-year-old who brought that into the house. On May... On May 28, 2011, I'm sitting at my pastor's um, table in his kitchen because I am, I've come to a place where I'm like, I need Christ. I've been listening to your messages since April. I need Christ, this salvation thing you're talking about. I don't have it. I need Christ. But pastor, there's some things about me you just don't understand. I don't think, I don't think he died for that. I don't think it's possible he he died for some things in my life that I'm scared to share with you because it's so wicked, it's so bad, you just don't understand, okay? And so he talks me through the gospel, he talks me through the Bible, and, and I accept Christ that day, but I don't tell him that day what it is. I don't tell him that day what it is because I'm still scared, I'm still worried about what people will think and if they'll kick me out the church and if they'll treat me different and if I'll ever be able to be what I'm supposed to be. So I accept Christ and I'm baptized and the people celebrate. I go on to start preaching for my pastor. I'm preaching at, at Sheltering Wings and I'm starting to become this well-known preacher who's gifted with the gift of God to speak the message for God And nobody knows about my dirty little secret. I'm vulnerable. And people love my vulnerability. But I can only go so far. Because there's one thing that they will crucify me for. So I carry it by myself. And I'm depressed. And it it holds me back. And I'm scared. And I'll smile in your face. I'll even let you in to hear a lot of stuff that's going on in my life. But I will not go that far. I just cannot go that far because I don't trust that you will bear the burden with me. I think you will kick me out on my own for me to bear it by myself. So I stay away from opening up to all of you. To all of you in this room right now. You see what happens when you're molested for three years and you struggle to even know if you're straight or homosexual or whatever because you're not sure if you liked it or not because you didn't tell on your cousin because you loved your cousin and you trusted your cousin plus you don't want to mess up the family and you want to make sure mama looks good and the family looks good and then when you're caught by your father uh, messing with this adopted child that was brought in and since you're the male even though you're younger it looks like it was you who was pushing it on, so you take the blame and you keep moving, and then they adopt more kids after that, after you go to counseling, and the counselor tells you that you've got it all together, and when they bring those kids in, and you're 13, and then you are the one doing the wrong thing, you're the one touching your sister who you claim you love in ways you're not supposed to? 
How do you tell somebody that? Huh? How do you tell people I am carrying a burden at 35 years old of knowing that when I was 13, I was a child molester? How do you say that to people? How will they ever look at you the same? Will they come back to church? Will they love you? Will they trust you with their kids? What do you do with that? You bear it by yourself. Because the church will only love you to an extent. They'll only go so far until they're uncomfortable. And so you isolate yourself. And so you beat yourself up. And, so and then what happens is God crushes you. He puts you in a position where you have no choice. You're 30-something years old. You've been walking with Christ. You're this preacher, this man who's supposed to have it all together. You've been playing the part. You've been the fake reflection. You've walked in that door. You've acted like you got it all together, and you're on a business trip by yourself. You're in Austin, Texas, and you're on the top floor. You're making good money. Your ministry is well. God has blessed everything you've done. And you get a call from your mother saying one of your sisters said you touched her inappropriately when you was 13. I know that's not true, right, Rashad? And you have to say to your mom, no, mother, that's real. No, mama, that's who I was. And then you get off the phone and all you want to do is put a bullet through your head, but you don't own a gun. You want to go drink it away, but you, you ain't got no money to drink it away. And so you look from the top of that hotel and you say, I could just jump and end it all right now. And that's exactly where I was at. Because I thought I had nobody to share this burden with. And so I called Clinton. I wasn't a part of this church. I called Clinton and I said, I just told him the truth about everything, and I said, man, I don't know what to do, and my wife's going to leave me, and my family's going to disown me, and Clinton bore my burden. He said, no matter what, man, I still love you. Who loves that? Who loves the child molester? And then I called my pastor, and my pastor reminded me Christ already died for that. And you gave that to him, but it still wasn't enough because if I call my wife and my wife's ready to leave, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I need to jump because she's all I got. And I call my wife and she reminds me of the exact same thing that Clinton reminded me of, that my pastor reminded me of. And in that moment, it took three people to keep me from killing myself. We always look for the comfort of God in some miraculous way. And what if it's just you? What if you are the comfort that somebody needs to push through another day, but you won't even notice or nurture? Or what if you're the one that's looking for the comfort like me, but you won't call on Clinton? Because you, you're scared to share who you are. Let me tell you something. There's some of you who may not even come back now because of this. And I understand that. I'm just being faithful to what I feel like I'm supposed to be sharing with you. But I want you to, I want you to know this. The only reason I can love without judgment 
The only reason I can sit down with many of you who have told me your darkest secrets and your darkest things and not judge you and just nod my head like, that's okay. It's because of what Christ bore on the cross with me. You see that moment you go back and you're honest, not your fake reflection that you give to the world, but you're honest with what you know he died for. The moment you say, God, take me back to that, that's when you're ready to start restoring others. Because nothing the enemy throws in your face about somebody else's background will shake, rattle, or roll you because you know who you were. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and I want you to hear this part of the testimony. It's tougher this time around. It's harder this time around to share this. I've not shared this on a stage like this ever before in my life. Very private, scared. Scared of the people. There's people in here, I'm looking around, there's people I've married in here. I've held their babies. I've, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've baptized them. I've restored their marriages. I've restored their faith or God through me, right? And yet, I'm scared right now. I'm scared of you leaving me. <laughs> I'm scared of you leaving me. I'm scared of you walking away from me. I'm, I'm scared. I'm so scared to share this information again. This is the second time. I'm scared to share it again. But I don't know any other way to show you that it's okay. I don't know. I don't have a scripture to turn to that shows you that you can do this that you can trust each other. Anybody could take this information and go home right now and destroy me and destroy my reputation to others in whatever you want to do. But I, I trust you to bear my burden that held me down for so long. And even after that night, it hindered me in ministry in so many ways because I'm scared. But I read that scripture And I, and I look at the word of God and I say, he wouldn't tell me to do this if he wouldn't give me people to bear it with. And so what happens is this, this is what happens. The reason I'm able to be gentle and and notice people and nurture people is because when I think about all the sickness of my life, all the things that he, that he bore on that cross for me, I, I say those words that we're about to sing. I'll never know how much it, it costs to see my sins, me individually, my sins on that cross. I, I, I can't put a price on it. I, I don't know how much it costs to see my personal darkness on that cross. And so, who am I to not bear your burdens? If he, 
If he took my guilt, if he took my shame, if he took all the things that the world would label me because of my choices, my decisions, my actions, and he died knowing I would do that. He died before I did any of it. He died for me, for me personally. Then how can I not do the same for you? This is the gospel, people. This is what the gospel looks like when it walks, when it lives. You look back at what he's done for you. You look back at what he did on that cross for you, and you do it for others because you know deep down inside you were not worthy of his death. I was not worthy of his death. I deserve to be in jail. I deserve to be dead. I deserve to be in hell. I deserve so much, so much more than what I've, what I've experienced. And so you take that and you bear each other's burdens and you love each other sacrificially and you sacrifice yourself for one another. Why? Because he did it for you. You don't wait for the apology. You don't wait for the forgiveness. You don't wait for it to make sense because it didn't make sense for you. It does not make sense that a man who knew no sin died for the sins specifically of Rashad Cunningham. And I will never know how much it cost. The least I could do, the least I could do is put myself on a cross for you. The least you could do is put yourself on a cross for each other. You're no better than me. I'm no better than you. And all of us deserve hell. And he died for those who deserved hell. He died for the teenage child molester. It hurts to say it out loud. It breaks my heart to say it out loud. But he died for this teenage child molester. And then he used them. And then he used, he used them. Why would he use me? And now he wants to use you. So as we sing this song, please just think, think about that. Here I am to worship. Why? Because I don't know how much it costs to see my sins on that cross. I have no idea. So I'm just here to worship. And that worship starts by bearing one another's burdens, by getting intimate, by getting real with one another. Many of you don't have things as dark as me, but even if you did, I'm trying to show you right now that you can share this freely. And for those of you who aren't comfortable... I apologize, but I'm just trying to be the best example of what that scripture says. This is all I know to do is to make myself exhibit A and put myself out here to the point that my daughter and wife had to walk out and go home because it's scary. It is so scary. So I'm asking my church family, whether you belong here or not, to stand up and sing with me because this is the only way I know how to get through this. It's together. Please stand up and see. I'm trying to do my job. I really am. As we get ready to close out, um, this is a big show, 
if it doesn't change anything. If we walk out of here with these tears and you don't make an effort, it's just a big show. It's just a big fake show. That's all it is. I'll be the first one to tell you, I need y'all. I don't care what my title is, I need you. Not even for what I've just admitted to you this morning, I need you in general. I need you to depend on each other so I don't feel like I'm the only one you're dependent on. I need you to step up for each other so I don't feel like I'm the only one willing to step up. I need you to show up for each other so I don't feel like I'm the only one showing up. I need you to live this out, to actually ask yourself, what did it cost for your sins? Do you actually believe that God in human form actually died a brutal death? Or is it just a hocus pocus book? It's just a good story that just sounds like something good to believe in. Do you actually believe somebody was nailed, nailed to the... I hate when I stub my toe. Imagine a nail going through your hands and going through your feet and a a crown of thorns and he's dying and the only reason he's doing it is for you. Not for himself. Nothing was for him. It was all for you. If you... Can you feel that? Can you really feel like because of that I'm going to worship like I've never worshipped before? I'm going to run through a wall for my brother or my sister, not because they're worthy, but because you're worthy, Jesus? This has to change something for us. This has to change something for us. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you, Father. I lift my hands to you, Father. Father, may this not be a Sunday show this morning. May this not be some fabricated presentation to cause people to have some kind of emotional response. Father, may they have an eternal response. Father, may they see the glory of your Son on the cross May they see the agony that he went through. May they read that scripture again and and, and read it as if they were watching him die for their specific personal sins. Father, may we see you when we see each other. Made in your image, Father. And because of who you are, we love them. We restore them. We bear their burdens. We lift them up. We heal the broken. Father, may we imitate Christ in all that he has done for us. May we look at the pieces of our lives that have been destroyed by our own choices, by the choices of others, by the fallenness of the world, And all the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. And may we be that hope for others. Your word says that you are the God of all comfort. And yet when Paul was crying out, you sent Titus, a human being, to help him bear his burdens. 
May we see ourselves as divine missionaries to carry your comfort and meet each other and lift each other and restore each other and bear each other. I thank you for this church family. I thank you for your son. I thank you simply for the energy to do this again. And I call and cry out to you in the same way I did first service. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are so worthy. And I praise your name. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of Church on the Rock, building his body, breaking our barriers. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at www.churchontherock.com bb.com